Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Lovely to be together. As Mark mentioned, we had the privilege to travel the last couple of weeks. We've lost phones, we lost rooms, but we, I think we found a whole lot of courage in the journey of what God is doing with us. Good, good, good save. And we really do. We had the privilege of traveling to Alabama, uh, sweet home Alabama, and visiting an amazing church there. We went to New York. We, we visited incredible churches. We were in Atlanta with Louis Giglio's church, and we had the privilege of meeting so many amazing leaders, and God just gave us favor. Um, a day with Terry and Wendy Virgo, if you've been a part of Life Change for any length of time, they were ministering here early in the year. And just we just saw God's favor as, as we got inspired and, and, and dreaming about what could be in this new season of life changes. And I want to say, if you're a part of the life changes family, I really believe our best days are ahead of us. And we are so excited and we trust that you are filled with faith as we last week landed our break camp, breaking camp series, as we trust that God is shifting things in our hearts and in our lives so that we can take the more that God's got for us. So everyone all right? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Uh, some people, some lesser men would have traveled all this way and be suffering from jet lag. But tonight, I have promised you that I'll be preaching with some jet swag. So let's get ready. The Word of God is coming your way, and we're so excited for it. Uh, so I learned something from my good friend, Mark Van Pletsen. I've learned many things, but something from him recently, uh, or in the last few years, and he brings it up often. But it, it came into clarity uh, while we were in New York. If you've ever visited New York, uh, Manhattan, and to be specific, you'll walk out and you'll, you'll see, if you've watched the movies, it is just the small little strip of land that's been consumed, every last inch of it besides Central Park is consumed with building after building after building after building. And this place is just littered with buildings everywhere, and it's, it's exhilarating, it's exciting. But what has happened in the city is that as, as time has gone on, they've realized that as with, with space has become consumed with buildings, there's no more place to put any more buildings. So there's, to, there's buildings to the left of you, there's buildings to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with no view. It's just for the older amongst us. Anyway, that's a freebie. Let's just keep going. It's a Sunday night. But what happens is, what happens when you've, there's no more places to put buildings? What do you do when you can't go left, you can't go right? The only option for you to do is to go up. And that's something that Mark has taught us and explained to us a few years ago, something called air rights. That actually, the, the, the buildings, the space of buildings, they, they have something called air rights, where the buildings have got the right to use and develop the space above the land with no interference from others. It's quite an amazing concept that actually, there's no more buildings, but buildings have got the ability and the aptitude to actually, we can put a few more stories on if we need this. And it's quite an exciting concept. And, uh, and I want to say this evening, as I've thought about that, as I was consumed with this image, and as we lean into the new se- season that we've got as a church, I felt strongly in this trip that I think many people's lives have felt like New York City. Maybe not as glitzy, not as glamorous, but have felt constricted in, a, in some shape or form. Where it feels like I, 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 my life is limited. My life is confined. I, can't, I don't feel I'm able to press forward. We have break camp. We have these, uh, these impassioned pleas to move forward in God. And you're feeling like it just feels like my situation cannot move forward because I'm impeded by life. I'm impeded by lack of finances. I'm feeling hard-pressed. I'm, I'm possibly emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, whatever way, squeezed in by life. And I want to say this, this evening in a brief moment, I want to call us to understand, the, if for lack of a better word, the air rights, the air rights that we have in Jesus, that whenever we feel squeezed, whenever we feel under pressure, when we feel we've got no other option of a way forward, I want to tell you in Jesus there's always a way up. 
And I want to help us understand that this evening by looking at a passion of Scripture. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12 will be on the screen behind me, but I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sons are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray this evening. Jesus, in this moment, we set our hearts and we, like in the moment of worship, we choose to say that you are beautiful. We choose to say that you are powerful. We choose to say that you are only hope. I thank you, Father, this evening as we gather, would you capture our attention like never before in these few moments together now? Would you stir up, bubble up, rise up faith within us? And I pray as faith rises in our hearts, would strongholds come tumbling down? I declare this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to give us a little context very quickly about this, this, this story, this well-worked story, if you've been in church for any length of time. But the scene is this. Jesus is arriving back from, uh, from his travels, from doing some incredible miracles. He arrives in a city, a town, a village called Capernaum. And as he arrives there, the word of that this miracle worker, Jesus, has preceded him. The town and the villages are a buzz of delight and excitement. As like they are almost gossiping the, that Jesus is, is incredible. They're gossiping his miracles. They're telling one another, have you heard that actually I heard that he raised a dead man. I heard that he healed a man of leprosy. I heard that he multiplied five loaves and fishes. I, I heard that he's doing these incredible things. And an amazing fervor is rising up in the community. And it says as Jesus arrives there, he goes to a home, and in my imagination, I can imagine he's just looking forward to having a good meal and maybe as a, as, as a red-blooded male, a good nap in the afternoon. That's what I just can imagine. But, but Jesus arrives there, but the word of the Jesus coming has preceded him so much so that the more senior folk have sped-walked their way there. The more agile have sprinted and pushed people out their way to get inside this house. It was, it was a private affair, but very quickly, I can, I can imagine my head going that whoever owned the house would start selling tickets to this event. All right, fine. If you're all going to come in, I'm going to up the price. And people were pushing their way in to get, because they wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. And as the house, that was probably a two-bedroom duplex that was just good enough for a family of four, all of a sudden becomes a very centerpiece of revival. As people are cramming in, couches that could have comfortably see two people have four, five, six people on, and the, the couches are creaking as they, on the edges as people are saying, no, I'll just sit on the corner of this couch, and people are pulling chairs. Anything that looks like it can, a box becomes a seat as people find seats and corners, as people sidle up next to the, 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 the appliances, as people jump on the kitchen counter, and then all of a sudden it's too full, it's too full, so people are running around to the side windows. Open the window, open the window, they're peering in to see Jesus as it, this, this heaving mass come and totally 
take over this home as Jesus is there at the center of the story and a massive crowd come and gather around him. This is an exciting introduction to the story. But as I read the story and as with this, this notion in my heart of air rights and our access to the more that God has and when it feels like we're getting squeezed, invitation to go up, I want to give us this evening very quickly, three things that I believe from this text that will impede us from accessing the divine rights that we have in Jesus. Three things very quickly this evening. They all begin with C, so they'll be helpful. Number one is this, and it'll appear on the screen behind me. Number one simply is this, crowds. Crowds. Now, uh, when I first read the story, I see crowds gathering around Jesus. Brilliant. Great. We love crowds. We love the more the merrier to get close to Jesus is wonderful. But when it comes to our own hearts, there's a line in there that just stuck out like, to me like a sore thumb. Talking about these four men who were trying to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. The line says this. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowds. The crowds were in, ex- in, in ecstasy, in rapture, in excitement, leaning into Jesus. But in their fervor, there was another man who was left outside who could not get him because of those crowds. Now, what is so amazing is that I believe the greatest obstacle standing between uh, this man and his miracle was not his brokenness. The greatest obstacle was the crowd of people all huddled together, ignoring his needs. I'm going somewhere. Stick with me this evening. You see, the other night, Mark and I were returning home after a long trip and just desperate to get home, and we've got a 20 to 10 flight uh, on British Airways, and we're in the cheap seat, so we're just waiting for the, all, the, all the lanies to go through. And if you've ever been to an airport, they have something, they have a, an open gate will be where everyone just queues outside, and then they're able just to filter straight onto the plane. But every now and again, they've got something called a closed gate, where you have to wait out on the corridor, and then you've got, it's almost like this, this uh, limbo place between the corridor and the plane. So you have to go and wait in that area before you can go into the plane. They were delaying getting the plane ready, refueling, so we had to wait in this long queue that snaked its way in, and we could see that this, this intermediate room was filling up very quickly. And they're all waiting, they had the vending machine, they had the seats, they had the, the nice atmosphere there. We were out in the, in the cold corridor, and as we were coming around, we realized that we think we're making the maths. We're not going to be able to fit in there. And it gets to the moment where they say, whoa, 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 okay, you guys have to wait for a while until they can start boarding the plane, because that room is full. And we stand in this queue, and frustrations are rising, because we're having to stand after being stand on our feet all day. We're seeing all the people enjoying the, the facility inside that, that room there, and and. The, great, the thing that grates you the most is the first-class passengers. Don't just, don't just hate those guys. Eh? The first-class, the business-class guys. Because all of a sudden, they can make room for those guys. Oh, sir, you can come on through. But for us plebs in the back, row 30D, that's us, you know. They said, no, 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 sorry, you have to wait here. And as I saw this image, this story leapt in my heart because actually I think so often the church can be just like that. The church can be a place where we become a closed gate. Will we say, actually, we can fit only so many people in our room in our moment, when actually, when the job of the church is not to be a closed gate, to be an open gate for the people to see Jesus. And you see, this is the understanding as I read the story. I realize that the greatest challenge is not that we're on the outside looking in, but I believe often it's that we're on the inside refusing to look out. We're refusing to look out. You see, as I I've understand, something I know about God in my few years following Him is that God's power is always linked to His heart. Let me say that again. God's power, His miraculous working is always linked to His heart. And His heart is always, always, always for those who cannot get in. 
How do I know this? Well, just keep reading the Bible. And that story, the very next story tells us Jesus left this meeting, this, this incredible crowd of adoring fans and people chanting his name, people who were pressing in to get a glimpse of him. He leaves it and he walks down the road and he sees a guy who probably would never, ever have come to a meeting like that, a man named Levi who's a tax collector, a man who was most definitely out of the societal, the, the religious day of people who were in. He was on the outside looking in and Jesus walks past this man. A man that others would call, and the, the text tells us, the religiously called the scum. And Jesus says, looks at him and says, come follow me. The amazing thing is that guy leaves his tax collecting booth uh, and he follows Jesus. And the next thing that happens in that narrative is he takes Jesus to his house and he throws a party for other tax collectors. And the scriptures tell us, and other notorious sinners. I love it. If, if you're ever called a notorious sinner, that's when you know you're doing your sin right. You know, because all of us are sinners, but then the, you know, we know that guy's a sinner. And those are the guys that Jesus chooses to be with. The religious elite see this and they go, why will he, how dare he eat with that scum? The Bible. And Jesus says, actually, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. I came for not those who think they're righteous. I came for those who know they are sinners. And this is the heart of the gospel, actually. As we look at the story, I realize that actually that the greatest obstacle often is not, not the fact of how far we are from Jesus. It's actually that we think, we, we think we're closer than we really are. I think that's, that's, that's heavy. Let me help us here. Because actually we get so self-consumed with the disease of me. I was for years, I'm a, I'm a pastor. This is what I do. This is my gig. And I remember leaving my home day after day, consumed with family things, consumed with kids and wife, consumed with, I've got to, hey, often, very often it's, I'm late, I've got to get to church. And we've got to get to church because, you know, have got to get there. That's, that's, the work of God is going down there. We've got to get there. We've got to get there. And so often I'll drive out my driveway and my neighbor named Adriano, a middle-aged Italian man, was reversing out and he waved to me and wanted to talk a little bit of Italian football with me. And I was always, oh, worst timing, always. I'll chat later, I'm late for church. And I'd often find my heart racing to get to church, the place where God will be, when all along there was a paralyzed man next door to me who was desperate for a way in. And sometimes we get so consumed with the crowd, so consumed with just being part of the religious game, when actually Jesus wants to grab our hearts, because when he has our hearts, he releases his power. That man, Adriano, just spoiler alert, Eventually, God arrested my heart and God in a miraculous way, not because of great oratory skill, not because of great evangelistic fervor, but only by the grace of God and me being available. That man came to know Christ about two years ago. Got baptized recently, is thriving in the church in Bloemfontein and sends me regular updates about the Italian soccer team and his love for Jesus. It's incredible. The first thing that will impede us from accessing our divine rights often is the crowds, often is the, the feeling that we are in at the expense of those who are out. Secondly, as I read this text, second thing that will impede us is ceilings. You see, I read the story, and it says, I, I see these four men, they arrive with their paralyzed friend, and I can get, imagine they get there, they've been so excited all week, they've probably been looking and going, look, what's the weather like that day? It's a good day to get him to Jesus. Listen, my man, if you get there, I've heard such amazing stuff. We get to Jesus, he's going to heal you. The paralyzed guy's like, this is exciting, man. I'm pumped, I'm amped, guys. Like, how will we get there? Uber, no, 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 we'll carry you. We'll carry you. That's the message translation. Um, so what they did was, the four guys, they pick up, they get there, they're drudging all the way there, they're getting excited, they rest for a bit, they get to the house, and as they get there from a distance, they start, their hearts start to sink because they're going, there's, there's no way in. There's so many people here. It's like, it is like uh, an Ed Sheeran concert. Just, you know, just a shout out for my brother. Uh, 
but they're like looking, they can't get in, and I can imagine their heart sinking, and he's like, oh, guys, thank, we tried so hard. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, but, you know, guys are climbing through the windows. I'm a paralyzed man. There's four of us. I, I know I've been away quite a lot, so actually, let's just, let's just call it quits. Let's go home. Hey, maybe we can catch the rerun on TBN later. No, I can imagine that's some conversation like that. But I love these four guys. I can imagine them. As soon as they see the crowds and their hearts are dismayed, they're seeing the crowds. They're seeing the crowds. I can almost imagine as one, the four friends just going and lifting their eyes. And as soon as their eyes go to the roof, they're like going, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm, I'm amped. Are you keen? I, I don't, I'm fine. My insurance is paid up. Let's do this thing. He's paralyzed already. What's the worst that can go wrong? just the way I think. I apologize. Jet swag, jet swag. But I can imagine the paralyzed man going, guys, 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 come on. No, 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 no. Hold it back. Hold it back, guys. I, expect, I love the fervor. Like, no, no, buddy. We're getting you to Jesus. No, guys, we can't go up on the roof. No, no, we're getting you to Jesus. And I love the fact the story tells us that in response to the crowd, they were not dissuaded. So they dug a hole in the roof above Jesus's head. I love this. And I want to tell you that so often I think our hearts can get dissuaded or distracted from the purposes that God has got for us because we are so easily seduced by low expectations. I think that if, 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 the, if the great uh, tale of two cities was written about our society today, about us here in South Africa, I think they would start, Charles Dickens would start off by saying, it was the worst of times, it was the worst of times. Because most of us have low expectations of our government, low expectations of our financial system, low expectations of our bosses, low expectations of our marriages, low expectations even of leaders in general. And we come in our lives with low ceilings over our lives and it's easily satisfied. Maybe say things like this, of course I didn't get the promotion. The boss has always had it in for me. We say, that. what else did you expect from the government? I always let myself down like that. I've even heard myself at times say things like, you know, just, um, this is, I just got to get through the season. I'm, it's not a spacious season for me. Uh, you know, we start saying, no, if I had a different boss, you know, because my boss is, oh, he's the cap on my growth, my leader in church. No, they just are not releasing my potential. You know, if, if I had a different salary, if I didn't have a different relationship, finances, if I had my health was in the, in the disarray was, then the ceiling in my life would be a lot higher and I'd be able to reach more of my potential. I've said things like that. Maybe you've said things like that. You see, back to air rights, is that actually what happens when a building is only six stories high and it's not accessing its full potential of growth in the city of Manhattan, the buildings that surround it have the legal right to appeal for what, what that building is not building can we add on to ours. And I think so many of us are surrendering our potential in God to, to the enemy. We're surrendering our potential to others around us. And we're letting others fly into the good things that God has because we're settling with low ceilings of our lives. You see, what I love is that actually in the crowd, I believe there were possibly many people in the crowd who has, had big needs, as big as the paralyzed guy or even bigger. But it's only one man who get, captured the attention of Jesus in the story. You know what? I love the fact that different translations says they removed the roof. Another one says they tore the roof off. As I read that, I just saw these four guys, wild eyes, saw the crowds, were not distracted, saw the ceiling and said, actually, we're going up. Everything, we can't go sideways, we can't move forward, but we're going up. And they get on this, the roof, and it's not this neat job, they tear the roof off. I was like, something in that just gets me excited. Tear the roof off. And, and in the, to understand the typical home in that day, the roof was made of clay tiles. 
which was then laid on a mat of branches and grass supported by he heavy wooden beams. And all of this construction was, con was held together by this incredible uh, utensil, this cr incredible material called manure, a.k.a. crap. <laughs> Sunday evening, here we go. But when you think about it in that, in that moment, I think we think it's this like, neat and tidy job, you know, to say, no, can we fix it? Bob the builder, and they're able to cut it neatly, and it's fixed and beautiful. This was a tearing the roof off moment where all of a sudden, Jesus is about to launch into some incredible tweetable quotes and start really getting excited in that moment. But his, his whole moment of revival is almost interrupted by these four friends who have put this paralyzed friend on the side and are tearing through clay, uh, clay tiles. You're tearing through wooden beams and shoving things apart and pulling through manure and a layer and layer of manure that has been there for ages and probably starting to get covered in it. And they're looking wild and scary and frightening as they, a hole develops on the roof of the crowd and moving into corners because space that wasn't there now suddenly opens up as these people friends, hey guys, we couldn't get in the front door. And they start to lower this man. Can you imagine a Sunday meeting like that? All of a sudden, what is going on up there? Life kids, eh? What are they doing up now? I bet it's those Van Plessen kids. <laughs> Just going with the flow. But you know what I, I want to say in, in this juncture, I want to ask you that actually we too easily allow our own mess, our sin, our manure, to go with the flow, our crap to become our ceiling in our lives. We allow us, our own ability to make this thing happen become the ceiling, and we settle for that's just who I am. We settle for that's my vice, that's my limit, that's my capacity. When as I read the story, I realize that the incredible thing is, as I see this, I want to ask you a question. Do you have friends who can pull you above your mess and not just sit in it with you? So often, we say, see, vulnerability and sharing each other's burdens is just sitting there going, yep, your boss is an idiot. You're so right. Mm, yep, you'll, yep, yeah, yep, that's, just, that's who you are. Your dad was like that, you're like that, shame. That's just your status in life. We have friends that sit with us and we think it's encouraging each other when actually true friendship are people who will pull us above our mess. You see, the incredible thing in that story, it says Jesus, as he looks up, crowds freaking out, what are they doing? I can imagine Jesus is just chuckling and loving this moment because it says this, seeing their faith, not the paralyzed man, the four friends. See, seeing their faith, he turns to the paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. Based on their faith, that as a community, we can worship, we can have faith for individuals outside our community to reach more. Another question very briefly for this evening's time, I want to ask you, are you the type of friend who isn't afraid to get your hands dirty in the mess of people's lives to break through their limitations? These friends didn't even get in. Their hands were covered in manure, but their friend encountered Jesus. What type of community are we building? We're not afraid of sin. He paid for it. We can get our hands in the dirt of people's lives. I want to say again, what ceilings are you allowing to limit the future God has for you? And as I preach, I'm getting excited. And I honestly feel in my, my spirit today that I, I'm feeling some tear the roof of faith inside of me. And I pray that's rising inside of you, some tear the roof of faith that won't settle, faith that climbs buildings and starts making a way through barriers. I want to tell you, tear the roof of faith is messy. It disrupts the status quo, but it's the faith that grabs the attention of Jesus. That's what we're calling to. Third and final thing this, this evening as we find our way through the text. see crowds. We see ceilings. As deterrence, finally, we see critics. You see, as I watch this story unfold, the paralyzed man gets his sins forgiven, encounters Jesus in a radical way, 
And as this is unfolding, it says that there was a group of religious elites sitting in the corner. Everyone else expecting, everyone covered in dirt, trying to get a glimpse. What is going on? This is exciting. But there's a group of guys sitting with arms folded, sucking on lemons. Just going, what's this? What's this? Is there no order to this meeting? And they start asking questions. Says, and I love how the script says, the religious law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. As I saw those words sitting there, I thought there's a paralyzed man, and I believe the paralyzed man has more faith and more movement in his, in his response to Jesus than a whole group of religious people just sitting there. And so often we think maturity comes with more passivity. I can tell you as we get more and more like Jesus, the Bible says we become more childlike, more faith-filled, more expect, expectant of the miraculous breaking out amongst us. You know what, when God is on the move in your life, I want to say there will always be critics. If you're under the age of 30, there will always be haters. Taylor Swift taught us that. Haters going to hate, 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 hate. But it's true because actually, can I tell you very quickly, that actually when God said to Noah, we Mark mentioned this a couple weeks back, but he said, Noah, build a boat. And in our heads, we hear this, that Noah built a boat in response, and two weeks later, Bam, rain came. It was like, told you, suckers. <laughs> the story doesn't go like that. The Bible actually, as the commentators will say, that from the moment Noah started building a boat till the time the rains came was between 50 to 70 years. Can you imagine being one of his sons, going through school? Is your dad that nut job? We've don't, they don't even know what rain is like. They haven't seen it. And there's this odd guy doing some DIY this weekend and next weekend, and the weekend after. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the criticism? Can you imagine the accusations? Are you mad? But by faith, Noah built a boat. Some tear-the-roof-off type moment. I, I want to say that as I, as I read these stories, I just could go again and again through all these different moments where criticism comes in the Bible, but that's where true authority is released because when opposition meets with opportunity, that is when authority is released. Opposition plus opportunity is authority. You can go again. Joseph in the prison was only in that moment that true authority is released when he's took the opportunity of faith. Moses and Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, no. Opposition. But opportunity came and he said, okay, I'm going to show you true authority in this moment. David and Goliath, Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar could go on and on and on. But I think too often we hear opposition, we have criticism, we have people, naysayers, and opposition, we feel, okay, that door's closed, I'm backing away. When I want to tell you, you want to walk into true authority, you want to see the power of God is linked to his heart, but it's also linked to people who respond when opposition comes. You see that as not as a, a, a door that's shutting on them, but it's an opportunity to go up. I want to land in this moment. I'll tell you about my friend, Winston Churchill, good friend of mine. One of my, one of my all-time heroes had the privilege with Mark going into Churchill's war rooms on Friday. And walking through some of his life and, and just being blown away by a man. I've just read brief uh, synopsis of, watched some of the movies, been inspired by his story. But in, the, in, in these moments, I got to learn a little bit of his backstory. And his story finds its crescendo in 1940 when he becomes prime minister of England. And says, we'll fight them on the beaches. And takes a nation to war and defeats Hitler and his, his third Reich regime in power. And, and glory and excitement becomes the British bulldog and the, the, the citizen of the, the 20th century. But if you rewind to 1915 in the First World War, where he's the Lord of the Admiralty, he's the captain of the, na the, the, the Navy and the ships. In 1915, 
the World War One's at its highest, people are dying, and he says, actually, I've got, a, I've got a something, I've got a strategy I think we should do. We're going to go up to the Dardanelles, which is the Dardanelles Strait, which is by Turkey, and we're going to go, and we're going to send um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men. We're going to overwhelm the enemy from that vantage point, and we'll win that war in that way. And they back him, they back Churchill, and this move that he does, he sends thousands and thousands across to that area of Turkey to go and do this invasion. But because in that invasion, the incredible stats are, are damning, because that invasion there was a failed, an epic, viewed as an epic failure, because it led to the deaths of 46,000 Allied troops and the loss of hundreds of ships. And actually, as politics works, it was all attributed to Churchill. From that moment, 1915, he was stripped of the Lord Admiralty and he was sent into the, or the, the so-called wilderness of the political world and he was almost tarnished with a, a brush of a failure. Criticism followed him for, for, for years past there. When he actually started to run in political moments again years later, political opponents taunted him when he stood up to speak in the House of Commons. They'll keep on saying, remember the Dardanelles. Every time he tried to make a speech, they'll remind him of what happened in 1915. When running for parliament in 1923, hecklers called out, what about the Dardanelles? A political insider speculated in 1931, 16 years later, that the ghosts of Dardanelles will always rise up to damn him anew. A man who will always be dogged by that failure. And just as short as a year before becoming prime minister in 1939, the news of the nation declared when he said, actually, we'll fight them on the beaches, they declared it'll be another Dardanelles. They all said, Low expectations, this is all he's got. But on t- upon taking office in 1940, Churchill wrote, all my past life, including the failure at Gallipoli, which is another name for the Dardanelles, had been a preparation for this hour and for this trial. As I read that story, I, I felt this question that maybe you've been sitting here, maybe your life is, you feel like your life has been squeezed by pressures. You feel that your life, you are, you, because of sin in your life that you cannot overcome, your life is being squeezed and there's no joy, there's no forward movement, you've tried, you've made promises, but you cannot keep going and you feel like the enemy again and again keeps reminding you, remember the Dardanelles! Remember the adultery! Remember the cheating! Remember your fear! Remember your depression! And the enemy yells out the accusation again and again. And every time you take a step forward, it feels like you're getting squeezed again. It feels like, yeah, there's always this call and I want to go. There's a desire, but I just cannot move up. I cannot move forward. I want to tell you that I believe strongly that this is the season for some tear the roof of faith to rise up in sons and daughters of God. But I want to say, but before Jesus will change your situation, he wants to change your heart. Because the story starts where he says, I forgive your sins. And then to prove that, he said, and I'll heal you of your paralytic situation. Uh, This is the thing. As I land here, I want to tell you, when I look at Jesus, the centerpiece of the story is not four friends. It's not a paralyzed man. It's not even the critics in the corner. It's a man named Jesus standing at the very center of a crowded room, but still able to see the one. Jesus, who's able to stand there with a low ceiling and still bust faith through a, a low season, a low expectation. A man who's able to stand there with the voice of the accuser yelling, failure, recusing, who, how dare you do that? Able to stand and become who God has called him to be. I want to tell you the great news about Jesus is that as I read about Jesus, the scripture tells us, the prophet Isaiah says, Jesus rendered the heavens. That's another word as he tore the heavens open and came down. 
we to learn as we read about Jesus as he died on the cross. It says that Jesus took God, tore the curtain from top to bottom. The curtain that separated God from man. We learned that actually his body was torn in two, broken. Not just a mere cut, but broken in two. So it could become the very access point where we could come with boldness and confidence to the presence of God. We are told that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn apart so that we can come in with confidence. Jesus has torn the roof off our faith. Not so that we can come to a closed gate, not so that only a select few can come in, but the whosoever's, the disqualified, the people where the ceilings of our lives are crushing the life of us, Jesus has come and bust through that ceiling so we can live lives with the air rights, the divine rights of sons and daughters. Can we stand this evening as we pray and land this time? Maybe this evening, can we close our eyes? If you're here this evening and you've been stuck in the crowd, you've, you've known, you, you know church, but you actually don't know Jesus. My fear is that we can do church, but our hearts aren't gripped with Jesus. Maybe you've been stuck in the crowd. Maybe you've been limited by ceilings and situations They've contained you, and you've allowed your expectations to, to just drop and drop and drop. Sometimes even, I believe, in the area of health, there are people here who've had prayer for healing for years and years and years, but they, they haven't seen it, so the ceiling has come lower and lower and lower in that area. Maybe you've even been here and you've been held by, back by the critical voice of the enemy that keeps reminding you of your failure. Tonight, I believe the Word has been preached. The Bible says that faith comes by the preaching of the Word, hearing of the Word. But now we have to mix that faith with obedience. If you this evening are saying, Jesus, I need to pick up a tear the roof of faith in any area of your life, can you lift up your hands as high as you can as a demonstration of saying, Jesus, though I may feel squeezed, though I may feel under pressure, though I feel that my situation is feeling all around me, I'm hard-pressed on every side, I'm crushed, I'm persecuted, I'm pressed down, but I choose tonight to go up. I choose tonight to go up to claim the air rights, the divine rights of a son and daughter. I will not be dissuaded any longer. I thank you, Father God. Tear the roof of faith. Start to leap up in every single heart here. Mothers and fathers for their children, where they've settled and said, oh, you know, that's just who they'll always be. They'll never come to faith. I pray for tear the roof of faith to leap in our hearts again. I thank you, God, for business owners. We're settled. That's just who we are. We're middle income. We just will make it by. Just have enough every month. I pray for financial faith to leap up in our hearts, to take risks in this economy. I thank you, Father God, for men and women who have surrendered their lives, surrendered their lives to sinful habits, sinful patterns, and say, I will never get free of it. I pray tonight that tear the roof of faith comes as we look up and we see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, saying, it's time to come on up. I thank you, Father God, that freedom is coming to sons and daughters. As faith arises, as God arises in our heart, let the enemy be scattered. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.